Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, we're beginning a series on the sufficiency of Christ. We're walking through the book of Colossians. I went to Israel several years ago when I was about 20, you know, like two or three years ago when I was 23 years old. Um, but I went to Israel and I went with a, a pastor of, of a church, a local church. And I love the pastor. I spent a lot of time with him when I was here before. I spent a lot of time with other churches. We did a lot of things together. And this pastor, I loved a lot and spent uh, some time with him. And I was looking forward to going so I could spend more time with him. But not just him, but the other people that were a part of the group. And they were, what it was, he was taking this church, like a church, you know, trip to Israel. And uh, I got to go. And he encouraged me a lot. And he even allowed me to teach. We would go to certain places. You know, like my day, I was on Mount Carmel. And I got to do the Bible study uh, that day for our group. And... Um, Although he was very good to me, I always came away with my conversation with this pastor. Even though I love him, I know he loved me and he loved the Lord. I always came away from our conversation, from my time with him, just feeling inadequate, feeling like I just didn't measure up. And I know that wasn't maybe intentional on his part, but uh, but never having received the second blessing that that some people supposedly receive, he just. He just kind of talked down to me that way. You know, and I always made mention of those things. And so I always feel like I was missing out, you know, as if Jesus Christ and His work on the cross is not enough for me, you know. And, um, I needed to have some experience or some deeper knowledge, you know, or some special experience so I could really arrive and be the spiritual Christian that I, I need to be. And, and I say again, it wasn't intentional, and I know He loved me. Um, but that was just the impression that I got. And I did feel inferior, you know, like he was kind of talking down to me. And uh, as I was reading this book uh, of Colossians in preparation for today, I thought about that. Um, I thought about the uh, effects of that and how that mindset is not altogether the same, but somewhat similar to the, the difficulty that was going on in the church there, at the Colossian church. Now, Paul had spent two to three years in Ephesus doing ministry, pouring his life into people, sharing the gospel. And as a recipient of that fruit was Epaphras. And he was a Colossian. And he was saved. And so what did he do? He went, he went back to Colossae and he took the gospel back there. And what happened is he took the gospel back to that city and the church was started. And, the, and the, these Colossians are here at this church. But what happened after a few years is a, a heresy arose within the church. Now, Epaphras, loving the church, knew that something needed to be done. And so he made a trip from Colossae to Rome. And Paul is in Rome. He's in prison. And he visits Paul there. And Paul writes this letter and he sends it back with Tychicus to uh, the Colossian church. And Epaphras stays in Rome with Paul. But this letter is addressing some of these issues. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're just going to walk through this book. And we're going to see what, what Paul says about this heresy and how it applies to our life. 
Now the issue that Paul is addressing in this letter is the sufficiency of Christ. Is Jesus and his work on the cross, is it enough for us? And those who were disrupting the fellowship there in the Colossian church, they, wanted, they, were, they were wanting to disqualify anybody who didn't listen to them except their teaching. And so it, it was kind of like they were wanting to be um, Christians, but they want to add to the, the, the teaching of the apostles. It was somewhat legalistic in regard to eating and what, what you could eat, what you could not eat in holy days. Uh, they were promoting angel worship. They were emphasizing experience. It goes back to what this pastor was trying to encourage me to experience, right? There's these special experiences you need to have, and they were encouraging asceticism. It was kind of like they were promoting this self-sufficient legalism. And so Paul is addressing that issue. And the bottom line is those promoting this false teaching, they were not holding fast to the head of the body. And as we study, I want you to keep that in mind. Paul is promoting and teaching that Christ is sufficient. Jesus and His work on the cross is enough for us. Phil Newton, he's a pastor uh, in, in Memphis, and he says this. He says his aim in, the, in this epistle is to hold before them the majesty and sufficiency of Jesus Christ, their Redeemer. He pulls back the curtain which had draped before their eyes to show them once again the wonder of, the, of Jesus Christ and His gospel. So we've already read the, God, uh, the first eight verses. David read those for us. Let's look at verses 1 through 2. 1 and 2. Paul, he began his letter in his usual fashion. He gives his credentials as an apostle and he includes his son in the faith. Who's his, who's his son in the faith? Yeah, Timothy, right? Yeah, Timothy's with him. He includes him in his letter. And it's written, who's it written to? It's written to the saints, right? And the faithful brothers there in Christ. So right from the get-go, Paul's affirming these Colossian believers. They're saints. They're holy ones. They're set apart for God. Just as you are. If you're a believer, right? You're a saint. You're holy. You're set apart, right? He says they're faithful. And this brings to mind as I'm studying through this, they're faithful. It brings to, to, to my mind Jesus' own words in John chapter 8, verse 31, where Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. See, they're, they're saints. They're faithful. And that's what we should be, right? If you're a believer, you are a saint. And we should be faithful, right? Faithful to what? Faithful to Jesus' teaching. Faithful to the Word of God. And his greeting is not totally unique. I, I, and what I did is I went back and looked at all the letters, Paul's letters, and looked at all the greetings. And this, the greeting here is, 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 not, is not unique because the letter to the Ephesians also has a similar greeting. But I, as I was thinking about that, I was like, you know what? Paul stayed in Ephesus like two years. And if you read at the end of, chapter, at the end of Acts chapter 19, man, he really loved those people. But I think got a similar, similar greeting here. And for him to not have seen these people face to face like he had the, the Ephesian believers, that's kind of interesting. But he knew because Paphos had told him how faithful these believers were. How these people loved Jesus. And so Paul sends him this greeting. And it's, it's interesting, um, before, I, before I moved away, I had a friend of mine in Memphis. And he was, he was a real passionate guy. He really loved Jesus. And when I would see him, he would always, this is how he would greet me. He would say, hey, hey, brother in Christ, how are you? It's kind of strange, you know. It's kind of, um, I don't know, it, 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 at first it kind of struck me as strange. He'd say, hey, brother in Christ. He would say, hey, Rick, hey, buddy. He wouldn't do that. Say, hey, brother in Christ, how are you? 
But it, after a while, I was like, man, that's cool. That encouraged me. And I started using that some. It, it's encouraging. Uh, we are saints. I'm a brother. I'm a brother in Christ. Remind me who I am. And these, these brothers and sisters, they were saints. They were true disciples because they were faithful. Look at, look at the greeting again. Grace and peace. It's the same in every letter except 1 and 2 Timothy where Paul includes the word mercy as well. So this is a real familiar greeting that we see in Paul. And if Paul gives us a good example here in this, these first eight verses, he gives, he's a good example. To, we should follow his example. He's a minister of the gospel. And we too, we're ministers of the gospel. I think he gives us a good example here. Look at, look at verse 3. His example of gratitude. Paul is thankful for the believers and their commitment to the Lord. He's oh, I'm just so thankful for you. I mean, remember his circumstances. Paul's in prison. He's in prison. He's in house arrest in Rome. Now think about Paul's personality. He's a, he's a go-getter. Remember, he's going from city to city and place to place, sharing the gospel, starting churches, equipping the church, right? And what is now he's 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 confined, right? I can imagine him. Um, having difficulty with that. You know? After moving place to place, house to house, I can imagine him having a little cabin fever. But he hears of this church from Epaphras. He hears how faithful they are. How they love Jesus. And he's, he's delighted. They're building up the kingdom and he's thankful. Why? Because this is, this is a, a product of his ministry. They're, they're building up the kingdom. I know when I um, get an email or a phone call from somebody that I've spent considerable time with, pouring my life into people, and later on I get a, a, a message back, how they're being faithful to the Lord. Man, it just does my heart good. You know, it makes me feel good. And some of you experience the same thing. People that you poured your life into, you share the gospel with, and they've repented, and now they're just walking with the Lord. You know? It's been a, kind of a blessing for me being back here I'm running into people that we used to be in fellowship with us, you know, and there's a few people that aren't in fellowship anywhere and they're not doing so well. They're not walking with the Lord, and that saddens me. But then I do I run into other people, man, they're they're walking with the Lord. And I, I see them, hey, how are you doing? They say, I'm doing great. What have you been reading the scriptures? They tell me what they've been reading the scriptures. It's done my heart good, right? It makes us feel good. That's what's going on here with Paul. Notice Paul that he's spiritually minded in his thanksgiving. He didn't thank them. He wasn't thankful, oh, because they're healthy or they're wealthy. Or, you know, they're not undergoing persecution right now. They're real comfortable right now. That's not what he's thankful for, is it? He's thankful for spiritual things to lead to eternal reward. And we see this over and over again in all his letters in, in the, the book of Philippians, in First and Second Thessalonians, in, in First Corinthians, in the book of Romans. We see Paul and his greetings, him being so thankful. And I think that even now, as we're back here in the States, as I talk to my, our teammates in China, and they tell us about Teddy, and they tell us about Brother Yao, oh, this is what Teddy's doing. He had a training yesterday in his hometown. And he had like 20 brothers and sisters there, and he's teaching them how to share the gospel. What does it do for me? It makes you feel good. Wow. You know, because I've poured a lot of energy and time into this guy. I've discipled him and invested my life in him. Here he's doing the kingdom's work. And, and there in, there in his hometown, the kingdom of God is being built up as a result of this guy's faithfulness. Right? And that happens with you as well. People that you know you've invested your time in, invested your energy in, you hear that they're doing well, they're, they're being faithful to the Lord. They're, they're, God's using them to build up His kingdom. It makes you feel good. You're elated. And that's what Paul did. He's so thankful for them. 
What about you? Do you have people like that in your life? That you can say, wow, I've invested in these people. I've given my, poured my energy and time into these people, and they're doing well. They're building up the kingdom. They're doing the Lord's work. They're doing well with the Lord. Then Paul, he, he gives the good example, I think, of just being, being thankful. And he, he, he's, he's telling them he prays for them, right? He's committed to pray for those he, he ministers to. He says that over and over again in every letter that he, that he reads. I mean, that he, that he writes and that we read. I think about prayer and how um, I've said this time and time again. Prayer is not preparation to do the work. Praying is the work. Right? Paul, he says he's so thankful and he's praying for them. And we have to remember that. He, he sets a good example because prayer is the work. Just like sharing the gospel. Just like helping a widow in need. Right? Um, just like leading a Bible study. Just like preaching the gospel. Those are, that's all kingdom's work. Praying is the same. Sometimes we say, well, you know, that's just kind of, well, if you can't do anything else, you know, just pray. I don't understand where you're coming from, but that, that's erroneous. It's not right. Prayer is the word. And we see Paul here committed to praying for them. And then he goes on to give three evidences of their salvation. Let's look at verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. He gives three evidences of their salvation. He said that they had faith in Christ in verse 4. Now sometimes you hear in counseling circles that everyone needs a higher power. I was talking with a, a, a woman this week. And she said, you know, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. Now she didn't say, hey, I'm a Christian. I wish she would have said, you know, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. That would make me feel a lot better. She says, I'm a spiritual person. Anytime I hear that, I'm like, you know, that's kind of broad. What's that mean, you know? Um, but, but you hear people talk about that. So people who have, a, who have faith and have a faith, have a religion, they're, they're healthier. You know that? Yeah, they're just healthier. They have less heart issues. They have less stress issues. I, I can kind of, I can, I can kind of see that. I can understand that. But here it says they, these Colossian believers, these saints, they have a faith, but their faith is in Christ. Christ is the object of their faith, and this is a life-changing, saving faith, right? This faith is the faith that radically changes and transforms lives. This faith was the faith that looked to the, to the righteousness of Jesus in fulfilling the law. This faith was the faith that, that looked to the wrath of the Father being satisfied in the Son. This faith is the, the faith that looked to the once-for-all sacrifice of the Lamb of God to atone for our sins. And this is the faith that looked to the, the resurrection of Jesus to impart spiritual life to dead sinners. That's the faith that I'm, that I'm talking about. This is the faith that these Colossian believers had. They had faith in Jesus. That He died for sins once for all. That He rose on the third day. That's the faith that these believers had. It's life-changing faith. Their faith was visible. It was noticeable. Their faith is, is a result of hearing the gospel. Epaphras took the gospel, the simple gospel, to the Colossian people, and they hear the, they hear the gospel, and they're transformed, they're radically changed forever, for all eternity, because they heard the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Epaphras has taken the gospel to them. They've been transformed. And he was able to report to Paul 
Paul had never seen these people, but he, he went and reported to Paul, and he told Paul, hey, these people, they're, they're faith. they have they are faith. Now, what are some things he could have said to Paul? Think about it. What are some things he could have told? We don't know what he told Paul. We just, we just know the result, right? He's writing this, and he's thankful that they, 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 he knows they have faith. What are some things he could have said? Could be. He could have said, hey, you know, Paul, these, these believers, they love the Word of God. They love the Word of God. They love reading the Word of God. They love hearing teaching on the Word of God. Yeah, possibly. What else could he have said? Could have said, you know, they ask questions a lot. They ask a lot of questions about spiritual things, about our spiritual walk. Yeah, this, he could have said that. Yeah, they ask a lot of questions. They want to be together. Man, they love being together. They love fellowshipping together. They love being together as believers. He says, you know, he could have said, hey, these people, they're, they're selling their possessions and they're giving that money to help poor people and the widows and the orphans. Could have. He could have done that. He might have said, hey, you know, these people... They have the kind of faith that transforms relationships. You know, some of these people, there's some people there, they have some, some conflict, but because of the gospel, man, now you're seeing these people forgive each other. And people that had conflict, now they're forgiving each other and they're, they're being reconciled. And that's just some, some possibilities. But he said something to let Paul know, hey, these people had, they have great faith. Ask you a question. Do we have faith that's noticeable? Do we have faith that's noticeable? And, and secondly, what about the people we're pouring into, we're ministering to? Do they have a faith that's noticeable? So the first evidence that these Colossians are saved is they have faith in Christ. The second evidence is that they were they love one another. They love one another. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. See, they love one another. That's evidence that you know Jesus. Again, I think of Jesus' teaching in John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. What? If you love one another, right? Also, 1 John, I want to read that to you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 through 20. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And He has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Yeah. How do we know they love they, they love God? How do you know they were they were saved? They were believers? They just love they love other believers, right? I mean, these believers like us, right? They came from different walks of life. Different personalities, different backgrounds, right? Different careers. They even came from different religions probably, right? But yet they had this, this love for one another, right? How did that happen? Only God can do that in a group of people. I mean, we said this last week, look around. We're just all so different, right? We're so different. But yet, we love each other. That's something that God does. That's, a, that's evidence that we're saved. Do you love... Do you love the brother? Do you love your brother and sister in Christ? Do you get excited when you see a believer? When you're at Kroger or you're at Walmart, you run into somebody who loves Jesus, you get excited about it? Yeah, if you're a believer, you should. That's evidence of 
your salvation? Do you look forward to getting together with like-minded people? That's evidence that you are a believer. Yeah. If we're a believer, we want to be together because we love each other, right? Gardner Spring, he writes in the book The Distinguishing Traits of a Christian Character. He says this. It's an interesting, interesting paragraph. Those who love Christ love those who are like Him and those who are beloved by Him. Here all distinctions vanish. Name and nation, rank and party are lost in the common character of believers, the common name of Christ. Jew and Gentile, bond and free, rich and poor are one in Christ Jesus. Actuated by the same principles, cherishing the same hopes, animated by the same prospects, laboring under the same discouragements, having the same enemies to encounter and the same temptations to resist, the same hell to shun and the same heaven to enjoy. It is not strange that they should love one another sincerely and often with a pure heart, fervently. There is a unity of design, a common interest in the object of their pursuit, which lays the foundation for mutual friendship and which cannot fail to excite the harmony of souls. The glory of God is the grand object which commands their highest affections and which necessarily makes the interest of the whole the interest of each part and the interest of each part the interest of the whole. See, this type of love, when you have a love for a brother and sister, it's not natural. It's not natural. Because our default mode, Zach, is to love ourselves, to look to our own interests. Right? Yeah. It's not natural. No. And, and look in verse 8. It says it's from the Holy Spirit. Right? Yeah. We know these people are believers, Paul says, because they have faith and they love each other. And thirdly, lastly, the third evidence that their salvation was true was the hope that they had in eternal, not temporal pleasures. Look at verse 5. The faith and love spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you already have, already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. So these, these believers, they had hope. In fact, notice the hope is the reason for their faith and love. They have hope, so therefore they have faith and love. Right? Without Christ, people have no hope. We can read scripture after scripture after scripture. People without Christ, they have no hope, right? And so if they have no hope, they have no faith, they have no love, right? Hope is not wishful thinking, but it's a confident expectation. It's an awaiting of fulfillment of that which is certain. It's not this, uh, that might happen. No, it's an assurance that it will happen. Hope is has an aim based upon the work of Christ and the promises of God. We know that's going to happen because this is what the Scriptures say. Right? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-5 His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith or salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The one who has hope has taken his focus off the temporal, the here and now, and put it on the eternal, the what's to come. What we've done if we're believers, and these Colossian believers, what they've done is they bet the kitchen sink on the promise of God which guarantees their eternal life. The hopeful in Christ look to the eternal where law for us do not destroy. Think about our the, the whole salvation process. We all have different ways the Lord brings us to salvation, but 
but but we all come to the same point where we realize we're lost and we think about wow I'm lost but if I turn to if I repent and believe then I have to stop doing this I have to give up this this relationship probably will end I will be able to do that we start doing those things right we start counting the cost is it worth it is it worth it is it worth giving up this and having to stop that and not being able to do this and is it, is it worth it and, and we, we struggle with that. I know I did. I struggled with it for months, right? Every day, just thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. But then what, I, what happened is I came to the conclusion that those things don't matter. I don't care what I have to do, what I have to give up now. I don't, I don't care what, I, what happens to me right now. I'm look, I know that if I, if I repent and trust Jesus, I know I'm getting something down the road, right? Eternal things. Amen. And it's worth it. It's worth giving this up. Because I know, I know that I'm going to get this down the road, right? This eternal life. Again, to give up temporal things, it's not natural. It's not natural. Because what do carnal, fleshly, sinful people do? They live for the here and now. Right? Yeah, I'm not giving this up. I want it now. I want it here and now. I'm not giving that up, right? Yeah, it's not natural. This hope produced life filled with faith and love. What do you hope in? If you're a believer, you hope in what is to come. Yeah, yeah, the kingdom. The kingdom of God, right? How much time do you contemplate those promises God has given us? Let me read this to you. C.S. Lewis. This is a famous quote. Many of you heard this, but it's great. The Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have begun thinking less of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. He says, aim at heaven and you get heaven thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Pretty profound, huh? Moses, he's a great example. In the, the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 26, it tells us that he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to looking forward to the reward. Yeah, that's the faith chapter. Those who have hope in the future promises also have faith and love. Verse 6 through 8, and I'll close. All of this, having hope which results in faith and love, is a result of the gospel. And look what it says there. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all that's true. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. See, all of this, we have faith, we have hope, we have love. Why? Because the gospel. And the gospel, it's, 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 we've had, Jenny and I had the privilege of knowing people from all over the world and hear their stories and testimonies from all over the world, from the Middle East to, to uh, the Pacific Islands, to Africa, hearing these people who are being radically changed, just like you were, just like I, I've been, because they heard the gospel. They heard the gospel. That, and that's the, the, the way I want to close. Believer, who are you sharing the gospel with? Epaphras took the gospel, the powerful gospel, back to his home. 
And this church was started and people were being saved. Who are you sharing the gospel with? Do you have people that you're asking God to give you an opportunity to share with? Do you have a noticeable faith? Do you have a love for your brothers and sisters? Do you want to be with brothers and sisters in Christ? That's evidence that you're saved. Do you want to be with brothers and sisters in Christ? When you see a, a sister and brother Christ at the store or at the mall or getting gas, man, it all excites you. Do you have hope? Do you think more about temporal things or eternal things? Where's your hope lie? If you're a if you're not a believer, if you've never repented of your sins and trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you. If you have no faith, you have no love for the brothers and sisters, you have no hope in eternal life, repent. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible is clear. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise from God. Are you ready to repent? And lastly, the invitation is for, for believers today to take the Lord's Supper. And we're about to do that. If you're a believer, I'll encourage you to take the Lord's Supper today. And sometimes when we go to take the Lord's Supper, people say, well, you know, I'm not really right with God, so I think I'm all, I need to put that off. Well, that, you, you never see the Scriptures teach us to do that. He said, well, if you're not right with the Lord, go deal with your sin, and then maybe next time you can take the Lord's Supper. That's not what we're commanded to do. What are we commanded to do by Jesus? Take it. Well, I'm not, I'm not really right with the Lord. Well, repent. Repent and then take it. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Turn your Bibles. Colossians. I mean, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Deacons, won't you come forward as I read this text? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 27 through 32. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 27 through 32. Paul writes these words to the Corinthians who are having some difficulty with the Lord's Supper. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the, the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. See, why do we take the Lord's Supper? We take the Lord's Supper first and foremost to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. And it's commanded. He gives this commandment to believers. Take the Lord's Supper. Remember what Jesus has done. His body was broken. His blood was shed for us. He died in our place. He's punished for us. For you and for me. We need to remember that. We need to remember. That's why in our church we take it every month. We need to remember it often. Remember the Lord's death. Right? So it's a time of remembrance. The second reason we take the, the Lord's Supper is just it's accountability. It's built in accountability for us. And the Lord in His wisdom gave it to us. Verse 28, a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who drinks 
eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. See, they were taking the Lord's Supper here in this church, but they weren't doing it in, a, in, a, in the right way. They were taking the Lord's Supper, and they weren't even thinking about the, the sacrifice of God. And as a result of that, some of them were getting sick, and, and in fact, some of them were dying. So if you're a non-believer today, you've yet to repent. You refuse, even if I, as I admonish you, repent and trust the Lord. If you haven't repented, I'll encourage you, don't take the Lord's Supper. It's not for you. But if you're a baptized believer, I'll encourage you, take the Lord's Supper. It's for you. It's a time for us to remember the body and the, the broken and the blood that was shed. Time for us to examine our hearts. So what we're going to do is we're going to sit before the Lord just for a moment. And we're going to pray and ask the Lord to reveal our sin. And as He brings sin to your attention, repent and confess. The Lord's been good to us. He gave His Son to die so we could have eternal life. We have here today, we read Paul, who gives us a good example. He's thankful and he's praying for those believers those Colossian believers, and then he gives three evidences that they know the Lord. They have a, a faith that was visible. Because they trusted Jesus, their life was changed. They had a love for one another. Evidence that you're a believer. And they had a hope, not in temporal things, but in what's to come. Our hope is in Christ. Our eternal destiny is secure because of His grace and mercy. We'll continue next week in this study of Colossians. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.